Welcome to Grace this weekend. Thanks, everybody, for being together. I wanted to mention something earlier that Pastor Nate mentioned. Of course, this week was Veterans Day, and I just want to take a minute and say thank you to all of our veterans. If you served in the armed forces, the unbelievable sacrifice, the time, the life that you've given, the investment you've made to protect our freedoms is an unbelievable thing. And we wanted to stop and say thank you for that. If you served in the armed forces, would you take a minute and would you just stand here in the room right now? Would you do that? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you so much. Beautiful thing. Well, we are in a series right now called Mixed Messages, and uh, we're going to continue in that series. And what we've been saying is the reality is our world in the last 15, 20 years has changed and it's continuing to change. And how we receive information in our world is continuing to evolve. And we said with things like the rise of the internet, uh, smartphone, social media, the messages that are coming to us now are exponentially growing, right? Now hundreds of messages would come to us each and every day about all kinds of things under the sun. Uh, literally how we should think, how we should live, how we should approach life and how we should make decisions. All of those messages and opinions and thoughts are coming to us all the time. And what we said is it's not necessarily a, a bad or an evil thing. It's not wicked that that's happened. It's just a new reality that we have to start to get used to. And we said one of the skills we want to develop is the skill of, of sifting through all of these messages and beginning to ask the question, how do I cut through the noise and find a message that is true and real and reliable? Because uh, really no matter what your faith background is, that's what we're all looking for. All of us want to give ourselves and, and have faith in a message that is true and real and it's going to lead us to a place uh, of peace and life. Right? Nobody wants to believe a lie or listen to something that is going to lead us astray. And so we said, how do we do that? How do we really turn up the volume on a message that's real and true? And, and what we said is if we're a follower of Jesus, for us, what we're going to do is we're going to look and we're going to listen for the voice of God. That's what we're trying to hear through all the noise. And so we said we want to turn up the volume on God's voice in our lives and begin to hear him more clearly and listen to his perspective and, and try to find that. And uh, we said in this series, one of the things that's really helpful is we want to see his perspective kind of shine through the rest of it. And uh, if you're not yet a Christ follower, I think what this series has done and continues to do is give you a, maybe a great deal of clarity about what God would think about specific aspects of life. And uh, so far what we've talked about is we've had conversations about people, about how to view human beings in general, like how to see ourselves. Uh, we talked about sex. We said, how should we define sex and how should we view it? Uh, we looked at truth and we said, where did that come from? How should we define that and how do we access it and have a single-minded uh, view of life? And then we looked at, at our citizenship last week, kind of looking into uh, the election and, and the vote and all that playing out. We talked about that a, a little bit. And what we want to do today is we want to have a conversation about hope. And uh, we are a world in need of hope, and uh, we want to kind of look at hope for the future. And I don't know about you, but hope in that, even the way we use that word here uh, today often means that it's kind of a wish, right? I hope it's nice out today. 
All right, it's kind of 50-50. I hope the Browns win. Like maybe less than 50-50, I don't know, right? But I, I kind of hope it happens. It's kind of a pipe dream. You know, I have some stock in it. But, but the idea of hope, and actually the biblical definition of hope, would be even a deeper thing. It would be a, a deeper sense of expectation. When the Bible talks about hope, it's, it's really taking my, the emotional stock of my heart and, and placing that stock, kind of betting on something, that I'm gonna put this stock uh, in my heart on something and I'm gonna expect that that's going to happen. It's as if it's reality that, it's as if I'm, I'm seeing it in real life and I'm gonna lean into whatever this hope is that I have. I'm gonna make decisions and orient my life around this hope that's going to happen. And that's kind of the, the way that the Bible would see hope. And when we start to think about it, and all the mixed messages that would revolve around our hope, this is actually how we live. We as human beings, we're made to hope. I don't have to, when I think about my kids, I don't have to teach them to hope. I don't have to teach them to, to set their, their sights and their excitement, to set their heart on opening Christmas presents, right, at Christmas. They're gonna get excited about that and lock into it and look forward to it and lean into that day, right? It's just normal. It's part of the human experience, and we would all do it. In, in different ways. We would look forward to something happening and we would lean in, putting some of our heart and our emotional stock into that. So it's not so much a matter or a question of if I'm going to hope, it's a question of where am I gonna put that hope? And is the place that I put my hope a place that is reliable and will it last, will it hold? Is that place that I land my hope a place that is true and real? Right? And, and will it actually deliver what my heart longs to find? Those are the real questions about how hope works. I was thinking about this. I told you guys a handful of weeks ago, if you were around, that uh, I went camping with my son. And uh, man, it was so fun. You know, he's nine years old. He's just at that sweet spot where like what he wants to do is hang with dad. And I asked him, I said, hey, bud, if you want, you could do like anything. If we could do anything together, what would you want to do? And he was like, dad, I would love to go camping. You know, I just want to go, and I want to go tent camping. I was like, all right, I will sleep on the hard ground. Here we go. It's going to be awesome. All right, so we, we planned this whole thing out, and uh, we went down to Hocking Hills for a couple days. And I had a, a pack schedule right before it, and so we kind of loaded up the van, like, last thing, right, right in the evening, right before we left, and grabbed the suitcase and some of the camping gear, and we loaded it all in. And we took off early in the morning the next morning. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to hit some parks before we actually set up camp. So we went and we hiked a handful of different parks at Hocking Hills, and it was awesome. And we, we started running out of gas a little bit at the, at kind of midway through the day, and we're like, all right, let's go set up camp. It's going to be kind of time to do that. And we, we go and we set up camp, and we kind of go pull in, and it's totally empty, the campground is. It's awesome. It's like completely ours, like the entire place. We're like, this is amazing, right? We're going to go have this entire campground to ourselves. It's going to be beautiful. So we pick out our spot. There's a river running through our campground. It's like beautiful. We sit out a fire and get that fire going. I was excited about that, you know, get my fire going. We were cooking ramen noodles because that's what you do when you camp, evidently, right, is you, you cook food that you can buy in a package, weird, right? And then it's time to set up camp, set up the tent, and I, I go to the van, I grab the bag and that has the tent in it, and I go and I go to open the bag. It was fascinating. That, that bag felt heavy, and, and I zipped, unzipped it open, and I start to pull things out 
that are in the tent bag, but none of them are the tent, right? I don't know if you ever did that. I might have said some inappropriate words in my mind, right? Those things were running through my head. I was like, I cannot believe the tent is not in the bag. Are you kidding me? You know, my son, he was totally great about it. He's like, it's fine, Dad. We'll sleep in the car. I'm like, we are not sleeping in the car. Absolutely not, right? And so we drive to Walmart, buy another tent. Now, what I did with that silly bag and that silly tent, silly story, I did something, I made a a minor error. I just simply put my hope in a bag instead of a tent. That's it. All right, when I opened that bag, I was so mad, I wanted to throw that bag in the fire, you know? I was like, I cannot believe it's not in there. I looked at that bag and I thought, I can't believe, this bag should have delivered for me a tent. That's what it was made to do, but it didn't do that. Why, it's just a bag. It's just a bag. I'm not mad at that bag, I shouldn't have been. Why? It was never meant to give me a tent. It's just a bag. And this is what happens all the time in our world. Think about how this works. I'm gonna put my hope on a relationship. You know what happens if you put your hope in a relationship? You suffocate the thing. It's never made to have my hope on it, right? Why, I'm looking for a tent, not a bag. You, you put your hope on finances and, and what money's gonna bring me, and you start to f- even find that, and you get it. What happens is I'm never gonna find what I'm actually looking for. Because here's how this works. The emotional stock of my heart, my hope, it is not made to land anywhere. It's not made to just be put randomly in different places. This deep desire of my heart and my mind, it, it's going to land somewhere. Here, here's what C.S. Lewis said. This is a fascinating quote. You've got to catch this with me. Here's what he said. If we find ourselves, I put it on the screen, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. See, we were made for another world. See, this is how this works. When I look at my hope for the future, we're all gonna have a desire for all kinds of things. Right? We're, we're all looking for something. And even today, I recognize we all walk in today, this week was a, a rattling week. Just was, I recognize it. And a lot of us are walking in and we're kind of all over the spectrum. And, and our country's all over the spectrum today, right? Our world is looking at, and some people are excited about where the country's going. Some people are heartbroken about where the country's going, right? S- some of us are kind of bewildered about where the country's going. And there's a lot of calls to throw energy at, at putting our hope back into making the country what we think it should be. Right? Is that where we should put our hope? It's a question. Or, or was the country never made to deliver on my hope? Was the country just, just a country? It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. I'm so glad I have a country where I have freedom and have protection that's offered for me. But is it a place where I should actually put my hope? Was it made for that? Some questions we want to look at today. And I want us to build on a conversation we started last week. Uh, We started last weekend uh, a conversation about our citizenship. Here's what we went through. I'll kind of review it real quick for us. Uh, We talked about the reality that if I'm an American citizen, many of us are, not all of us, but if I'm a citizen of the United States, 
and I'm a Christ follower, then what happens is I'm actually a dual citizen. This is what we talked about. We said that if I'm a follower of Jesus, I say I want to follow Christ, what happens is I become a citizen of the kingdom of God. Right? I'm a member of his kingdom. And now what happens is when I say I want to follow Jesus, I become a part of his kingdom, and the Bible would say that that kingdom is invisible. That's why we made it the, the dashed lines here. I can't see it. I can't look on a map and say there's the kingdom of Jesus. Now, if I'm in America, let's say, and I'm a, kid, a citizen of the kingdom, we, what we did last week was we looked at uh, three colors, green, yellow, and red. And what we said here in the green is if I'm in the midst of the overlap of these two citizenships, I am able freely, legally in my country to live out my faith to a large, large degree. And we would be able to look at that and say, in our country, it kind of looks like this. Right, we're able to live out a great deal of freedom, maybe even like this, right? a great deal of freedom where we can look at our country and say, There's, I'm free to pray, I'm free to read my Bible, I'm free to be here at church today, right? and praise the Lord that we have those freedoms today. Thank God that the way our country is aligned, we can do that. We said that that's a reality, that's kind of how that plays out in my dual citizenship. We looked and said, now on the other side here, there's freedom in our country. It's legal for me to do many things that are not appropriate for a Christ follower to do, right? So we made this part red here because this would be kind of a stoplight for us as a Christ follower from a follower of Jesus. We would look and we'd say, is it legal to hate? Sure, it's legal to hate, right? You're allowed to hate if you want to hate. In America, you can do that. Uh, it's, is it legal to live for greed? Is it legal to practice sexual immorality? Sure, those things are all legal. For me as a follower of Jesus, though, I would say I can't jump over there. I can't live there because all right, I'm a member of the kingdom. I'm a citizen. And so we recognize that, that that red and that green are going to exist, that they're probably always going to exist. And it's mostly a matter of how much red and how much green that I'm always going to live in an imperfect society and that I'm always going to have some level of freedom to live out my faith. Now we put another color on the board. We put yellow over here for caution that there are some parts of our fellowship of Jesus if I'm a citizen of the kingdom where sometimes I'm called to live out my faith and it causes me to break the law. This has not happened in America uh, very often, or if at all. But in some countries, it's illegal to have a Bible. It's illegal to meet publicly and to gather in the name of Jesus. And we said, for Christ followers, they'd say, you know what? God's called us to do that. We're going to do that. We're going to live as citizens of the kingdom first. We actually have to break the law in order to do that. And we looked at those three relationships, and what we said is this, that these relationships are always going to be here, uh, that, that there's always going to be red, there's always going to be green, there's always going to be probably often going to be yellow, and it's more a matter of how much of each of them are there, and that countries are always going to move, right? There's, there's always going to be movement. Sometimes, and in some places today, our brothers and sisters who are followers of Jesus have very limited amount of following Christ in a legal way, Right? And most of their followership of Christ has to happen underground. That's a reality uh, for many people. But we said our goal, if I'm a citizen of the kingdom, is that that citizenship of the kingdom supersedes that of my citizenship in the United States. You say, does that mean we're anti-American? No, not at all. 
not at all. It's that I would look at my citizenship in the kingdom and say, this one has to win out. One of them will always win. And I have to choose which one I'm gonna be defined by more. Which one will have my highest allegiance and my highest loyalty? And if I'm a follower of Jesus, God would call me to choose that one. And what we landed with last week was the, the, the simple phrase that God never called Christ followers, he never called us to save a country, he called us to seek a kingdom. And that's the reality of where we find ourselves. So what I wanna do today is continue to build on that idea. I wanna build on that idea, because what does that mean? If I'm called to seek a kingdom, how do I put my hope there? What would that look like for me to put my hope in a place where it's founded and it lands on the kingdom of heaven? Because today, remember, this kingdom is invisible. I cannot see it. I'm looking, if I say I'm a member of the kingdom, a citizen of the kingdom, what I mean is I am voluntarily putting myself under the rule and the reign of God. That's what kingdom means, right? The rule and the reign of God. That I elect, I choose to say, God, here's your rule, here's your ways. I'm under that. I wanna submit myself to your leadership. I wanna follow you, okay? But we can't see that. It's something we choose today by faith. Here's what's fascinating. When we start to look at where to put our hope and how this might work, especially in the midst of all our messages today, here's what the Bible says. Here's God's perspective on how we should align ourselves I, I changed our notes this week, by the way. If you're following along in the, the program notes, uh, kind of as the week went along, I decided to go a bit different direction in light of our changes here. And I went with that uh, First Peter. So it's the second note in your uh, notes, second passage. It's First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Peter says something that is absolutely clarifying. I just threw it up here on the screen for us. Here's what Peter says. Peter, right? Peter's a guy that would have hung out with Jesus and watched his life as one of his disciples and followers. Here's what he said. He said, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. He says, listen, I want you to be, I want your minds to be alert and sober. I want you to be awake. I want you to, to see reality for what it is. Right? And then he says this, set your hope, another translation says fix your hope or rest your hope, and he says do it completely on the day that Jesus comes back. So when we think about this emotional stock, what I look forward to, what my hope is set in, he says what I wanna do is I wanna extract that from this life as much as I'm able to, and I wanna put it, I wanna set it on the day that Jesus comes back. And th there's going to be a day that Jesus Christ returns to this planet. It's just going to happen. And when Jesus comes back, he's gonna make everything new. And everything that is is gonna change. And, and Peter's gonna look and say, if I follow Jesus and I find my citizenship here and I put the kingdom first, what I wanna do is set my hope on that reality on that day. Okay, because that's going to happen. I fix my hope there. You say, well, why wouldn't we do things like set our hope on a country? Why not? Why wouldn't I? Why, why would I look and fix my hope completely on 
the, the kingdom that Jesus is going to bring physically, right? One day it's going to change. It won't just be invisible. One day it will be physical. Why not just put my hope in a country? God would talk to that too. I put it not in your notes here, but on the screen, jot this reference down. God gives some brief perspective to this. Here's what he says, Psalm 118, verses eight and nine. It says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Here's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, I'm gonna take refuge somewhere. I'm gonna put my trust somewhere. I don't wanna put it in human beings. I don't wanna put it in human leaders. I'm gonna put my trust in God, and as I do that, I will interact with the country appropriately. Because here, watch how this works. If I were to put my trust in the country, and, and even if we gave all of ourselves to, to making the legal system all that could ever be, if everybody, if we work to get whoever we wanted to get in office in office, if it's the person who's gonna be in office or it's the next person who's gonna be in office, however you view it, it's fine, right? We said this last week, right? No political party can fully encapsulate the heart and the mind and the justice of God. It's fine if you belong to a party, but just recognize that it's an incomplete view of, of who God is and how we view things. But let's pretend for a minute that I could. Let's pretend for a second that I gave myself to making the country what I believe to be uh, an eclipse with the kingdom. Let's just pretend that we could do that, just for a minute, right? And, and that we gave all of ourselves to getting the right candidate and to getting the right laws and to making it all happen and to, to make it all work. The moment that we got that to happen, it would move on us. It would change. Right, why? Be, because a country is an imperfect thing. It's a temporary thing, and it's always going to move. You say, are you, are you saying countries are bad? Not at all. They're just never meant to carry and to hold the weight of my hope. It's not what it's made for. So you see, what Peter is saying, what the psalmist is saying is this, that the, a country is an awesome thing, it's just temporary, right? I, the country, when Jesus comes back, is going to go away. It will not last forever. It's not evil, it's not wrong. It's just temporary. And one day what's gonna happen is our kingdom, the kingdom of heaven that we cannot see today but we interact with by faith, one day that kingdom, right, which is a dashed line today, it's invisible, one day will become solid just like our country and one day what we interact with by faith we'll be able to interact with by sight. This kingdom will come. Jesus will return and he'll make all things new. And he will be the name that is above all names. And the names that we think of and the parties that we tend to, to run to, take refuge in, they will go away. And one day the justice of God and the perfection of who Jesus is will be the government. This is reality. This is our future. If I'm a Christ follower, this is my hope that one day the kingdom of heaven will look and will feel as real as my physical country feels today. Isn't that fascinating? One day Jesus will come back and he will be physically in charge. I wanna put my hope in that day, 
Because until that day comes, we will always feel that, that there is something missing. We'll have a desire that I cannot find in this world. Why? Because we're made for another world. We're made for the kingdom. We're looking for the perfection that we will one day find in heaven. This is not heaven, this is earth. I place my hope in the kingdom so that one day I find what I'm looking for. Maybe we ask the question, okay, Ryan, I hear you. Jesus is coming back. The countries are going to go away. One day Jesus will physically set up this kingdom. What do I do now? How do I live in light of that? How do I live with hope? Right, because here's the reality. Let's say I fix my hope in the kingdom. I recognize that it is indeed coming. I'm still here in my country here and now today. There, there is some division around us. There are people all around us who are hurting. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you're bewildered. Maybe you're confused. Ryan, if I want to put my hope here, what do I do? How do I lean into that day that Jesus is coming back? How would I act now if I believe that that were true? Great question. Here's what I think we should do. I think the scriptures lay this out for us beautifully. The Apostle Paul would talk to Timothy about this, right? The next step is to do this. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, as he instructs his friend and his protege, a young pastor named Timothy, as he leads the church there that he's leading in Ephesus, 1 Timothy chapter 2, you can turn there if you have a Bible with you. And uh, if you don't have a Bible or a copy of God's Word, we would love for you to just grab one from underneath the chairs. You can take that home with you. Uh, make that your gift from us to you. First Timothy chapter 2. Here's what Paul's going to say. Listen to this. This is great stuff. Paul says, I urge then, uh, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Paul would look at Timothy and say, Timothy, as you're leading people as you're helping the church to live with hope in the midst of a, a real country, here might be the way he would say it, I want you to pray for people. I start to pray, say, what do, I, what do I do right now? I'm bewildered, I'm scared, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, right? I don't know what to do. What Paul would say is, you, I want you to pray. I want you to start by praying for people. Who do I pray for? We want to pray for our families. We're going to start by praying for the people around us, our coworkers, people we interact with. I think we'd go beyond that and say, I want to pray for those who are hurting in our country today, who are confused and bewildered, and everybody's wondering, where do we go from here? I want to pray for those folks. I want to pray for those who are feeling smug because their candidate won. I want to pray for people who disagree with me. Right? There's a reason why Jesus would say things like, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. I want to become 
maybe in a new and a greater way, a person of prayer. All right, guys, I'm like, I'm like you. I, okay, so I'm scanning through social media just like you are, watching crazy things being said. We're all doing that right now, I understand. And just like you, I almost posted, you know, almost. What if we stopped and, and instead of judging somebody saying something crazy that makes no sense to us at all, but what if we stopped and prayed for that person that shared that thing, that crazy meme, that insensitive picture or graph or repost? What if we stopped and said, Lord, would you be with them? Would you reset their perspective? Would you help them to find the kingdom or see the kingdom? We pray for all people. And I, I, I can't win today unless I become a person of prayer in a new way. It's just how it is. And that's what Paul would call us to, to begin to pray differently. And he goes on, he says, uh, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. He looks and says, I want you to pray for your leaders, right? For your political leaders. I felt this big time. It's been truly insightful for me to kind of lead my oldest children through this election. And by the way, uh, my kids don't know who I voted for. We didn't tell them. We're not trying to, you know, make political disciples at home. I don't believe in that, right? We'll teach them eventually, but we, we want to lead them through this process, kind of where we are today. As we watch these debates, some of them together, and we talked about some of the things that presidents do that of course we're gonna disagree with, right? They're flawed and we're imperfect and we're always gonna have that scenario. My son specifically asked me, Dad, what do you, how do you interact with a president that you don't, you don't agree with? What do you do? What came out of my mouth was, of course, this verse that we should pray for kings and all those in authority, and as it came out of my, my mouth, I was, I was convicted about it. Just being honest, I, I, I said we need to pray for our presidents, and as I said it, I thought, Ryan, when's the last time you prayed for your president? Is that a part of my regular day-in and day-out prayer? We, we think about our presidents, especially now. We think about the people who are in power. When am I actually stopping to pray for them? Because this thing's a big deal. Paul would go on and say, boy, we gotta pray for those in authority. Why? We wanna be able to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And he would talk about Jesus. This pleases God. Why? Because we wanna be able to get Jesus out there. We want people to be able to find Christ, and when there is peace, there's an environment where we can bring Jesus into the equation. Boy, and this starts to change how we might live our lives and how we would orient ourselves. See, if I'm gonna be a person of hope in the kingdom, here's a shift I'm gonna start to make. I'm gonna start to adopt the way of Jesus more and more. And, And I'm gonna start to think, rather than trying to legislate people into behavior change, I'm gonna try to set my goal at loving people into heart change. That's what Jesus did. He looked at individuals and rather than trying to control their behavior or move them somewhere, he loved them. He met them in their point of need. He fed them. He brought hope. 
This is the way of Jesus. If we want to change the world, it's really not going to happen from the top down. It really happens kind of one person loving one person at a time as we individually bring the message of hope into hearts and minds and as that message takes root, lives are changed. It's how it's always worked. It's how the church is here today. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, boy, we wanna pray. We wanna pray for people around us. We wanna pray for our leaders. We want peaceful and quiet lives where the gospel can be the center. This is a big deal. So I was thinking this week, this verse came to my mind, caused me to really change some direction of our conversation today. Uh, this passage has floored me for years. And I, I want you to see it with me. Here's what Jesus said. So this is what Jesus would say right before he went to the cross, right before his life ended. This is some of, I think, the things that are closest to his heart. Here's what he says in uh, John chapter 17 Verse 20, if you want to have, a, go ahead and take a minute and turn over there. John chapter 17, verse 20. And here's what Jesus is doing. I'm going to tell you the background as you find your way there. It's page 754 in this Bible's under your chairs. Jesus would look at, and he would pray with his disciples, and he prays for them. All right, so they're all together, and Jesus is about to go the, to the cross. And in this prayer, I believe he was communicating his heart and vision for the church in many ways, and for his followers he'd spent his life with. John chapter 17, looking at verse 20, now he goes beyond just his disciples and he prays broader. Here's what he says. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. Right? Not, not just for the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So as the disciples go out and they tell people about Jesus and those people tell people about Jesus, ultimately the people who would believe in their message is the entire church of Jesus. It's us. Jesus here in this passage is praying for us. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, 21, that all of them may be one Father. Uh, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Fascinating. 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may, brought, may be brought to complete unity. Listen to this verse. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, Father, I pray for my followers, citizens of the kingdom that have put their hope in me and in my name and in the future that is coming. And I'm praying for them. What am I praying? I pray that they would be one. He's saying, God, help my followers to rise above human divisions. Help them to see beyond political lines. Right? That, that, that Democrats would, would look and say, I, I'm a 
follower of Jesus, that Republicans would look and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I would be more aligned in the family of God than I would be aligned in my political party. That we would rise above educational differences and racial differences. We would rise above our gender differences and our economic differences, our education differences. Jesus would talk to his disciples, and this was a mixed bag of political people. That they weren't all one type, they were kind of all over the board. And he said, I would pray for them to be one, and then as the church expands, I want all of my followers to be one, to be united, to be on the same page as a family, as brothers and sisters. That the people who put their hope in the kingdom together unite around the kingdom, not around a country, not around a party, not around a set of human goals, but a a set of eternal goals, around a person of Jesus. Why, Why would that matter so much? Why would it matter so much that we would be completely united around the person of Jesus and around his kingdom? Well, here's what Jesus said. These aren't my words. Jesus would say, when people can look at the people of God and when they are united around me, that the world is looking at that and they're looking saying, those people, they're different. They're not perfect. But man, they forgive each other and they love people that other people don't love and they take care of each other and they get up above the human differences that we all get stuck in. They're not united around money or united around an empire. They're united around a person and that person's kingdom. And when we're able to look at and say, those people are like Jesus, the world around us does the math on it. And what the world around us, as they watch us live out our faith in Christ, they, they look and they say, that message must be authentic. It must be real. Jesus must be the real deal because look at his followers. Look how they love. This is huge. This is huge. We, I believe, we are at a critical moment for followers of Jesus. If you, if you follow Christ today, critical moment to get very clear about why we are on the planet. Countries are beautiful things, but it's not what we live for. It's not where we put our hope. Political parties, they're fine things. It's not where I put my hope. I put my hope in the kingdom. And when we live as citizens of the kingdom, loving each other, first with the family of God, loving our brothers and sisters across the aisle, loving our brothers and sisters who are disagreeing and maybe are viewing the election results very differently from how we're viewing them. When that happens, the people around us see the message of Jesus clearly. Jesus would say, the world will know that my Father sent me when we live like that. So what do we do? We pray. 
we begin to look and we begin to live out the prayer that Jesus gives us here. And if we're gonna live as citizens of the kingdom, we can't see Democrats and Republicans. We can't see rioters and KKK members. We can't see Donald or Hillary or whoever. We see souls. And we see souls, people that are created in the image of God and people who were bought with the blood of Jesus, our Savior. I gotta change how I view life. Because it's us walking out of here today in every human action, treating people with kindness and respect, dignity, love. I would say this. Today is a day that we have to be incredibly careful. Let's not be reckless with each other. Let's be slow to speak, quick to listen, quick to try to understand where people are because this is a moment where people are looking for hope. And if you claim the name of Jesus, you have it. Let's meet people where they are and take them to the hope that we have found. That's what we're called to. That's why we're here. That could show up in the Hope Project. That could show up in how he interacts with my neighbors. Show up in holding the door from somebody and interacting in a, a polite way with a server. Right? It's all those things. How do I walk away from this conversation? How do we wrap it up? I think at the end of the day, we have three options. I can make a decision to put my hope, and by the way, you're the only one that can decide where your hope goes. I can't decide it for you. Your parents can't decide it for you. Your kids can't decide it. Your spouse, only you choose where your hope goes. I can make a decision to put my hope in something that will not last and that will fail. It doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It's that my hope was only made for one thing. My hope was made for heaven. I can make a decision, though, to put my hope in something temporary, and if I do that, I'm gonna face great, great heartbreak. I can try to live without hope. That's another option. Good luck, right? We're made for hope, friends. Hope, oh, hope drives us, sustains us. It's part of who we are. The last thing I can do is I, I could just hope in the kingdom. I could put my hope in something that's sure, in a kingdom that will not fail. When countries rise and fall, the kingdom will stand and endure forever. I could land it there. And listen, if you've never made a decision to put your hope in the kingdom before, maybe you're here today and you said, I just kind of stumbled into church because I don't know what to do. And I'm feeling a little lost with where everything is right now and I, I just came to church. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus before, to set your hope in the kingdom, this is the time to do it. To look and say, Jesus, the king of the kingdom, laid down his life, came to earth, lived perfectly, died innocently. The price of his life is what paid for my sin. He did that because he loved me. He did that because he loved you. If you've never made that decision before, say yes to Christ choose 
to set your hope in his kingdom, his rule and his reign. And one day we'll see him face to face. Jesus, I accept your forgiveness. I wanna follow you. Make that decision today if you never have. And for the rest of us, can we recognize that our hope is somewhere? Even if I claim the name of Jesus, I might have put it somewhere other than the kingdom. Can I make a decision today to set it fully in Jesus and in the day that he comes back? When I put it there, it will change how I interact with people. It will change my view of the future. It will stabilize my citizenship here on earth. I wanna have the band come out. I wanna pray for us. We're gonna worship in a minute. During this time, would, would you pray? Would you think? Would you be open to seeing all of your hope found in the kingdom? Let me pray for us. Father, we want to pause right now. We're recognizing that you are God. Lord, you're the only one that we can run to, and you're never going to fail us. You're never going to leave us or forsake us. You promised. Lord, no matter what our emotional state is today, you're here. You're with us and your heart would break for those who are hopeless and brokenhearted. God, your, your heart breaks for those who are feeling smug. Lord, we wanna follow your command. We wanna pray for our political leaders right now. God, we pray for President Obama and his administration. We pray for the President-elect Donald Trump and his future administration and transition team. God, give those men and women wisdom, insight in how to lead our country with love and with justice and with righteousness. Guide them in a supernatural way. Lord, thank you again for the men and women who protect our country. Give themselves in a unique way to doing that. Lord, thank you for their sacrifice. Or may we never forget it. Lord, we pray for our country that you would heal it from the inside out. Or would you set our hearts on fire to be agents of hope and love and understanding, people that bring your love into relationships and into our world. God, cause us to be different. Cause us to be the people that you made us to be. We love you, Lord. Meet us here.